Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 25 of the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast. I want to be self... <laughs> Good start. On behalf of myself and my co-host Aiden Sarah, we are, uh, we're back after uh, just uh, kind of catching up a bit here. Uh, there, there was a couple times when we, we kind of could have recorded, but then there was going to be a game that night or the next day, and it just didn't re- really feel right to do so, but... Now, uh, with with the Stanley Cup Finals concluded, I uh, I feel like we can really wrap things up here on this on this season and on this playoffs. But uh, first things first, I got to check in with my co-host. How you doing, Aiden? Well, I think I did establish before that Jonathan Marchessault hosting the Stanley Cup would make me physically ill, um, and then I had to watch him also hoist the Conn Smythe Trophy. So it's been a bad day just because of that. To be completely real with you. Well, I'll level it out. I'll get us on an even ground. And uh, I liked watching a guy who digs and plays the game really hard when the con Smythe, not a guy who's the traditional star. I thought that was oh. cool. I love when that happens. Did you just say Jonathan Marcheseau plays the game really hard? Because I've got some I've got some video clips we can share to the podcast Instagram of him flopping around the ice like a fish and we can talk about playing the game hard. That's what I think of when I think Jonathan Marcheseau is the 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 Olympic diving team competition that he loves to play at times. Uh, there's a lot of players that we could go after with that, but uh, but yeah, that's that, that's that's fair. You get your opinion. That's uh p- part of being a person who hosts a sports podcast is you got to give your opinion here and there, and that's yours. Yeah, it almost did level itself out by watching Mark Stone score a hat trick though, because like he's earned every piece of this. You know, like they're, they're and it wasn't it wasn't really, you know, I, I don't think it was a big it, it, I don't think this was a serious, serious concern, but there was an outside chance that his last back injury was going to end his career. Right. Like it, it wasn't that wasn't out of the realm of possibility. And for him to fight back and just be the beast he was in these playoffs. And then, you know, like <laughs> at the end of the day, I think you and I have both said this, like oh, we love the world juniors because you see. They're playing for passion. They're playing for the love of the game. Every time you saw Mark Stone celebrate a goal, that's what he that's what he's there for, right? Like more so than almost anybody else in these playoffs. I'm looking at that guy and I'm like, this is this means everything to him. He'd be doing this for free, right? And I love that. He's the lifeblood of the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. I I uh I've heard heartbeat. I've heard pacemaker, but I kind of like the lifeblood. That that one gets me going a bit more. Yeah, and speaking of, on the other side of that coin, you know, as was Matthew Kachuk to Florida, and that was super evident in Game 5 that they didn't have him. Like Super evident in Game 4 when he could barely play because of how badly injured he was. Yeah, he has a broken sternum. Hey, that's been reported since the game ended. Yeah, Um, oh yeah. Like, wow. I don't, yeah, I I don't know how you walk, Um, (laughs) let alone... I don't know how you walk right away, but you remember how that's exactly what happened to Sam Gerrard, right? He had a broken sternum. Yeah. Um, He had a broken sternum, but a few weeks later, a couple weeks later, whatever it was, um, he was at the cup parade and he did like a front flip or something. <laughs> so I don't know what the recovery timeline is. I'm hoping it's the same for Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> yeah, I know a broken sternum isn't something you need to be like, like it's not a cast thing obviously it's not something you need to have like things attached to you to treat it's just something you have to leave and then wait for it to heal yeah it's Um, damn near right in the middle of you yeah there's nothing you can really do as far as 
protecting it aside from not playing a contact sport like hockey. Um, yeah. And so Florida, you know, like there's been a lot said about the Panthers and how long of a break they had. I definitely think that didn't help them in the series, but you know, like <laughs> we talked about the Panthers hurricane series at our last podcast. Cause we haven't done one since the final. Um, so we talked about it and I remember kind of saying like Carolina was out playing Florida, but the hurricanes never seemed like they were going to win. And in this series, the golden Knights were out playing the Panthers and never seemed like they were going to lose. <laughs> like it, 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 it just, it didn't feel like it was Florida's Florida lost control of their, of their game, right? Their game was grinded out, annoy the other team strike when you get your opportunities, lock it down and don't let them score. And, and you know, the end of the day, Sergei Bobrovsky's hot streak came to a uh, premature close, unfortunately, as well. So for the Panthers, you know, I do hope there is, uh, I do hope there is a don't be sad, it's over, be happy because it happens happened element that sets in in a little bit. It's not, it's obviously not something that you're going to be feeling right now. But at the end of the day, I really do hope if you're a Florida fan, if you're, you know, if you're thinking about this Panthers run that as much as it, it didn't end with glory like you're gonna look back on it and you're gonna think this was an awesome run to watch it was an awesome team to watch they upset teams along the way and you know we got to see some great performances we got to see the emergence of some guys in, in huge roles and and whatnot so you know obviously it's literally the day that you lose you're not going to be feeling any sort of optimism but in the weeks months that are to come i i do hope the panthers are looked back on as a as a you know this is a positive memory for everybody and on that note, and uh, we haven't really uh, specified, but yeah, on the note of of the Florida Panthers losing in the cup finals in five games and what you just said about being able to look back at it that way in the future, that we did accomplish something pretty crazy. We, we, we did get really far when no one expected us to do so. Um, that draws me back to a lot of interviews I've heard and seen with members of the 2011 Tampa Bay Lightning went to game seven of the Eastern conference finals. Those are guys who really believed in themselves and each other. And looking down the line, I remember hearing a Ryan Malone interview where he was talking about that run and talking about all those guys just believing in each other. And I think somewhere down the line, you're going to hear a, a knit cousins or something talk about that and just say, look, like this is, this was something special where we found it all within each other and we just ran with it. And uh, it's going to be pretty cool to hear about it one day. That's uh, it's going to be pretty special. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And, you know, we we very briefly talked about the Knights. It's, you know, they did it right. We Bill Daly, when the Knights were awarded the team and they got their roster was we want to be a playoff team within three years. We want to win the cup within six. Well, this was year six. They won the cup. Right. And here Bill Foley, Bill Foley. Yeah. Um, so for Vegas, everything they've done since pretty much midway through their first season has been for this and they did it right. And at the end of the day, you know, love them or hate them. And I know a lot of people aren't fans of the Vegas golden Knights and I'm not going to pretend that I am, but a lot of these players earned this, right? Say what you will about the way some player movement was handled. Say what you will about, uh, you know, the, the, the LTIR, salary cap circumvention that they used to get Mark stone in over the cap for the playoffs. Like, you know, those stories are going to be told. Those complaints are going to be made, but 
you know, it's hard to see Mark Stone, his his face. It was that second goal where he, the one he squeezed through Bobrovsky. Just look at his facial expression, right? At the end of the day, love or hate a team, you cannot not feel happy when you see somebody like Mark Stone, who's an absolute warrior and has been an absolute warrior his entire career. Like he wasn't supposed to be an NHL or James. His skating was bad in junior. He was a bad skater <laughs> and he worked his ass off to fix his stride and fix his, uh, his acceleration is zero to a hundred and, and became one of the best two way wingers of the generation. And, you know, he's got his crown. So I'm again, I, I know I keep talking about Mark Stone. I'm super happy for him, but Shay Theodore, Alex Petrangelo played huge parts. Well, Jonathan Marcia. So got the Smythe for a reason. And, and we haven't even talked about Jack Eichel who led the playoffs in scoring. This is a guy, right? Like <laughs> this is a guy that was ba- like, he was written off as a locker room cancer when he was in the, when he was in the Buffalo organization, right? He forced his way out of Buffalo because they wouldn't let him get a surgery. And teams were cautious to trade for him. And now he's sitting here proving that, you know, he's the real deal. He is a first line center. He is a, one of the best players in this league. And, you know, again, love or hate Eichel. He's, he's earned every piece of this. You mentioned Shea Theodore briefly, and uh, one thing I completely forgot, a few years ago, that guy was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Shea Theodore. Shea Theodore. Yeah, and I completely forgot about it until it was just breezed over quickly in the broadcast and the celebrations and everything. Like, I, I don't know how long he had it for. I think it wasn't more than a year or so, but... Yeah, because I remember I remember that almost being like a, a little story ish because phil kessel i think had the same thing yeah. early in his career so when kessel went to vegas that was a a connection made of like um such an odd about, connection to me right oh totally somebody talked about the fact that uh that you know two two you know it was a feel-good storyline of two cancer survivors right being on yeah. a team like this um, it was 2019 for Theodore because it was it was pre-COVID, which makes it feel like ages ago. <laughs> um, four years isn't really that long, but you know, <laughs> thinking of something before COVID is like, oh, that's another lifetime. We have a lot of hockey news to go over because so much has happened while the Cup Finals have been going on. But I just want to ask you because there were a few moments that really jumped out to me. What were a few special moments for you? as the Knights were passing around the cup, as the players were getting interviewed, as management was getting interviewed, what are, what are a few things that stood out to you? Because there's always so many feel good moments in there. Uh, Stone, right. I, I've always been a huge, st- I've been, a, I was, a, I fell in love with Mark Stone world juniors had a absolutely crazy, I think 2012 tournament Canada won bronze, but he was one of the best players in that tournament. Um, That was a team that probably deserved a little bit better. And he was just a, you know, he was a beast. So seeing him win the cup was awesome. I, I did really like the, you know, uh, Riley Smith getting it straight from stone, right? Like I, I thought that was a nice, a, a nice moment as well. Like you're never going to have anything. I, I don't think we're ever in this sport going to have anything close to Sackick to Bork, but I'm always really, really intrigued to see what the second recipient is where the captain gives it. And, you know, and then from Riley Smith, it went to all the other original Vegas Golden Knights, and and part of it for me, and I know with Vegas, this like the whole the whole like misfits thing went away really quick, right? Like it was a thing year one, and then it hasn't really been a storyline anymore. But at the end of the day, I, I really enjoyed, and I enjoyed it because 
again, these players were cast away by their teams, right? And to see players that were either not protected or even in a lot of cases were traded to Vegas to protect their teammates, right? Like Shea Theodore was a deal to the Knights from the Ducks, I believe, to protect Sammy Vatten. <laughs> um, uh it it was uh it was the deal wasn't specifically pro- to protect Sammy Vatnin. It was so that they could keep all three of Vatnin, Montour, and Josh Manson. Because there was it, it was looking like they were gonna lose one that was out of their control. So it was basically so that uh they would take Clayton Stoner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and that happened for Vegas, like William Carlson, right? Like William Carlson was you know, he wasn't even a he wasn't even going to be on the Blue Jackets' radar to protect him, right? And this guy has a 40-goal season and ends up one of the best two-way centers in, in the league. And he was up against McDavid in the second round and, and did such a good job. And yeah, so for me, it, I guess in short, it's it's those players that were in Vegas because other teams didn't want them hoisting the Stanley Cup, right? Um, that's probably my top two. Fair, definitely. Um. So outside of that, for me, um, Jonathan Quick. Uh, there were three, what, three, four goalies, three that got to hoist the cup tonight. I don't think I saw Logan Thompson on the ice. Uh, but yeah, there were three, and Jonathan Quick got it first of those three, <laughs> and that was just such a sign of respect for all that that man has accomplished in his career as a hockey player, in his, and then not just that, but his career as a person. Because there's been talk uh, in this cup finals and throughout playoffs of how he's really kept some of those guys together, how he's kept some of that group together, how he's been such an important part of their practices when uh, their goalies are bouncing. Their starting goalie is bouncing around injured. Like they they don't know who's going to play next. And they have quick just giving it all in practice to keep these guys on their toes. And uh, that that's just so special and so cool to me. Uh, another one like, Bill Kessel didn't hadn't played since the first round, as far as I can tell. And uh, I think he played he's played like two or five games this playoff, something like that. I was just looking at it recently. Correct me if I'm wrong. Four. Four games. All right. Well, I wasn't right about either one of them, but he has played games this playoffs, but it's been quite a while. And uh, just to see him with his kid and his wife or girlfriend, fiance, whatever, on the ice with that cup and uh and then there was wasn't there that quote tonight that uh uh people said i couldn't win and now i get to lift a cup for the third time i know i'm paraphrasing but something oh you are you are paraphrasing because yeah that was a a loose quote it was directed the word toronto was dropped it was talking about how in toronto they told me i couldn't be a winner and here's my third cup was basically the gist of it so (laughs) yeah it wasn't that vague it was pretty pointed at who was saying that to him (laughs) um which made it all the better (laughs) um yeah, and I totally agree with you. And Jonathan Quick, the other thing too with Quick that I just want to add, like, and you know, it, it was a hectic trade deadline, but don't forget that he was dealt to Columbus and was just dejected, right? He was not happy to be traded from the Kings to the Blue Jackets, and you know, and at the end of the day, we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about Yarmo Kekalainen later in this podcast, but I have so much respect for Yarmo Kekalainen for a lot of reasons, and this is one of those reasons. He. Mm-hmm. 
he did Jonathan Quick a service. He traded him to a place that he wanted to be and ended up, it was a contender and they ended up winning the Stanley Cup, right? Kekalani didn't have to do that. There was nothing compelling him to do that. He just saw a person and treated him with the respect that he deserved, right? Like it's, it's, yeah. And, and that makes me all the happier for quick, right? Because it, it was kind of a roller coaster week there. And in the end, he gets, gets another ring. And I got one more, one more. I mean, there were a lot of moments for me. Uh, I'm just going to breeze over a couple small ones. Um, Mark Stone hoisting the cup. Um, that moment of the, of the captain picking up the cup and getting it, like you could see that it's shaking in their hands as Gary Bettman's looking up to them and going, okay, go. That moment is always so special to me because that's the most pure moment of joy. Like that first player to get it and the first guy to get it after them that's just the pure ecstasy of the summit of hockey. It is just insane. Um, that one just breezing over that quickly because all of those moments of the captain and first player after hoisting the cup, those are ingrained in my brain. I can see them in my dreams. I can see them as I'm walking down the street. It's ridiculous. I couldn't get them out if I tried. And I trust me, I don't want to try. <laughs> but uh, one of the big moments for me was Three BC boys hoisting the cup. Uh, number one, Shea Theodore from Aldergrove, BC. Uh, number two, Aiden Hill from Comox on Vancouver Island. And number three, Laurent Brassois. Um, uh, he's from my hometown of Port Alberni. It's, uh, it, that was pretty cool just to see the back of his jersey and see the cup going over his head. Because like I went to school with his younger cousin. That that name is so familiar to me. And, uh, like I've bumped into Laurent at a music festival. I guarantee he doesn't remember me at all, but like, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a loose connection to my hometown. And I can't remember the last guy from Port Alberni to hoist the cup if at all. I don't think Paul Sears is really the only other notable NHLer from, from Port Alberni. And I don't think he got to hoist a cup. So it's, uh, that was, that was pretty interesting to see. And, you know, maybe, maybe the Stanley cup goes to Port Alberni this summer. And that's, that's a pretty electric thought for me. Um, not one you ever really would have thought or expected. So um, just for all of those guys to get there, um, you said the misfits thing had kind of worn off. Um, Aiden Hill, Laurent Brassois, neither of those guys were supposed to be playing important playoff games as a starter. There are a lot of other guys that fell into that misfit role as this team came together, as this version of the Vegas Golden Knights, the 2023 version, came together. And uh, honestly, man, I'm not a fan of this team at all. But you love to see it. Just love to see a, a great plan come together. And uh, yeah, that's uh, just to put a bow on it. <laughs> that's uh, I think that's that's my thoughts on it. The more I talk about it, the more I smile. Um, it's... The Stanley Cup's a beautiful thing. That's that's all I gotta say. Love it. Okay, what's next? Well, you know, there have been a lot of coaching moves, management moves, trades, even. Uh, it's a lot a lot has been going on. Uh the smartest thing we can do is follow the lit follow the list that my wonderful co-host, Aiden, you, put together. And uh, Peter LaViolette, looks like he's going to the Rangers. Um, I think, honestly, I didn't agree with them getting rid of Gerard Gallant. 
I'm a big fan of Gerard Gallant, but Laviolette's had a pretty exceptional touch with all of these teams he's gone to. I mean, the Capitals weren't going to be included in that. We already knew that. But like when he got hired there, it wasn't going to be the same. But as soon as Laviolette's come to a team, he has had wild success. So I think the Rangers are looking at it and going, here's an experienced guy. Maybe we can catch lightning in a bottle here. Let's see what we can do. Yeah, well, three Laviolette teams in a row made Stanley Cup finals, right? He was in Carolina from 03 till 2009, won the Cup in 06. He was in Philly from 09 to 2014 and then made the final in 2010. Then he was in Nashville from 14 to 2020 and lost in the finals in 2017. Two seasons with the Islanders in the early 2000s and then these three years in Washington. That's the only two tenures that he hasn't had a long playoff run in. And even then, he's only missed the playoffs, like, what, twice, I think, since he started with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, one of them was this year with the Washington Capitals. So, uh, yeah, it's it's they're bringing in a, a serial winner. They're bringing in somebody who, if you look at the teams he's coached, like, that Philadelphia Flyers team and this New York Rangers team they're not they're not the, they're not similar by any means but it's the it's the bringing out the best in the superstars you know what i mean like mike richards jeff carter were unreal under peter laviolette danny briere yes danny briere was great so, young claude Giroux. exactly so it's not i'm not saying that the teams are similar i'm saying that in philly he did such a good job at at bringing out the best in the superstars you can even say in nashville like ryan johansson hasn't been the same player since laviolette left he had a couple mm-hmm. you know you know up, ups and downs even with laviolette but there was a version of ryan johansson in nashville that laviolette brought out that we haven't seen since uh, victor arvidson as well when he was in nashville was a beast laviolette kind of bred him so for the new york rangers if you're looking at him and his track record of bringing out the best and some star players and you're looking at your roster I can see I can see where the connections made. I can see why they they went for him and for Laviolette. Let's see let's see how it goes because to me again, we'll see what the Rangers do in the offseason. There's going to be a lot of moves, but there's still a team that is is very much in their cup window. So we'll see if Laviolette can seize it for them. A lot of a lot of the qualities are different, so we're not going to actually make the comparison, but just for the sake of us having fun on this podcast, um if Laugh Alexis Lafreniere is very good next year, and they go on a deep run, and he's randomly one of their highest scorers in the playoffs. Can he be twenty twenty four Claude Giroux? Can he be the twenty twenty four rendition of twenty ten Claude Giroux? Rather, it's hard to yeah. You're right that just trying to put those two players next to each other in my head, like there's nothing else connecting them, right? So it's it's hard it's hard to like make that connection because of how different they are. Um. I know what you mean though, right? Like I know exactly what you mean. You're talking a former first round pick who, who, who a new coach needs to bring out his potential, right? That's what a you're guy saying. Who has dynamic playmaking talent. That's just yeah. waiting to get used. Yeah, totally. And I, I actually do, you know, like I know I've talked at length that I do like Lafreniere a lot. I do think that it's coming for him, right? Like it's one of those things that I'm waiting for a breakout year until it happens. Um, And, you know, like I think a coaching change, might bring it out and that's provided he stays right we're talking about this guy that is an rfa so we'll see but um other team that hired a head coach this we, we can't go through all of them but the calgary flames hire ryan husk i wanted to put a um a, a spotlight on it because 
Peter Laviolette, we talked about. He's been a head coach in the NHL since 2001, I think, with the New York Islanders. This is the first job Ryan Huska has got. We, you know, it's it's pretty long documented that there's a club of NHL coaches and managers and people just pretty much change spots. So anytime a new coach gets hired, I do like to shine a light on and light on it. Um, he was he's been in the Flames organization since 2014. He was their AHL uh, AHL coach until uh, I believe 2018 and then was an AC in Calgary for the last four or five years. And now he's the head coach. So we'll see. Uh, how this goes for the flames obviously you have to look at that roster and say the talent on it they should be a surefire playoff contender again we'll see what he can uh what he can bring out in a a, a talented group Aiden, do you mind if i go off list and segue this to all of the columbus stuff in one go yeah i mean it's all on there somewhere perfect okay um well just because we're talking coaches the columbus blue jackets mike babcock Oh it's, yeah. That's that's a that's a big deal. I mean, it's not uh, I don't think it's 100% confirmed yet. It's still considered a report, but it's it, it looks like it's all but all but official, right? That's been the consensus that I've seen. Yeah, it's Babcock is going to be the coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets and you know, like if he was reinstated, that means that Gary Bettman thought he's ready to go back whatever problem forced him out will not be a problem moving forward and at the end of the day you and i can sit here and talk about that all we like we can talk about but we we, we don't know as well as the people involved would know and again we talked about yarma kekaline and I, I don't i don't see kekaline in hiring him unless he had the faith that this wasn't a mistake so you know i totally understand the viewpoint of do we let this guy back in the league because he had, he left on negative terms, but you know, the end of the day, don't judge somebody for the worst thing they did. He's a good coach. We'll see how this goes. And to top it all, to top that off too, just to add on to what you're saying, has Gary Bettman really given us that many things in our lives to not trust his opinion? That guy has made the NHL so much more of a high value quantity. Yeah, and you and I do have the very differentiating opinions on the on the just the sport in general because our priorities are different. And I, I under I'm self aware enough to know that my 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 outlook on hockey is pretty head in the clouds, idealistic, not realistic. As far as the this is everything should be for the love of the game, the same way that we saw Mark Stone hosting the cup. It's not. Nobody else thinks like that. <laughs> Half the players don't think like that. Um, so there is that piece of me that while you're saying that it's like, yeah, but he did this, this, and this, but I can't deny that the, the business side of this sport, he's helped immensely. And yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right from that perspective. Um, and yeah, Irma Kekaline is, an, is equipping Mike Babcock with a unreal defense. Okay. Zach Wierenski, Damon Severson, Ivan Provorov, Andrew Peak, Erica Branson, Adam Bokvist, and David Juracek, who is making the team next year, knock on wood. Jake Bean as well. You have eight capable, surefire top six NHL defensemen. You can make the case that you almost have eight top four. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. We'll see how Juracek and Bean play. But, oh, this and team. And Bok, I have a lot of faith in Bokvist, but yes, you're right. I, we'll, I do too, but he has to show consistency to to really gain true faith. Yeah. Um. 
And this has been a thing for me for a while with his Blue Jackets team. They are, in my opinion, one center away from playoff team. That's what I think of this this Blue Jackets team. Um, there's there's a did, couple things about. Did I? About sorry. These. Like, yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. I said Provorov. I I, I don't want to. I, I we need to talk about Provorov. So. Do you have a thought on the trade before we talk about the Columbus as a whole? I, so the, do you want to outline the trade quickly if you have it up and I'll give you my thoughts? Yeah. So this is one of those kind of complicated three team trades, right? Uh, Which I love. I do too. I think it should happen more uh, <laughs> because it's a very, you know, it, it's, I'm not saying it's easy. Sorry. I shouldn't say the word easy. It's a very creative way to, to check boxes. So three teams involved Columbus, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles. Columbus gets Ivan Provorov. The LA Kings get Hayden Hodgson and Kevin Connaughton. Philadelphia, Hal Peterson, Sean Walker, Blue Jackets 2023 first round pick, Blue Jackets 2024 second round pick, and the Kings 2024 second round pick. By the way, this was Daniel Briere's first trade as an NHL general manager, and oh my God, did he knock it out of the park. Danny Briere with a grand slam in his first career at bat as an NHL GM. I like Provorov. This is crazy, and I know some of these assets coming back are because they're eating Cal Peterson's salary, and they're taking it off the Kings book. So part of this package is that, but still. <laughs> you know, the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio goes to the, he goes to the the penny stock place and he's on the phone and he's like selling the guy <laughs> like $8,000 worth of penny stocks. And he's like, I think you're going to wish you invested more. And then they... me, that's what Danny Breer was doing. <laughs> and he had all of the all of his brats yeah. in the room, and they're all just like he hangs up the phone and the one guy behind him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how would you do that? <laughs> that honestly, like, well, and and it, it, again, it just brings me back. The last time we saw a three-team trade this lopsided was Mr. Joe Sackick with the Colorado Avalanche. Similar, similar vibes of just absolutely fleecing the other two teams. Because at the end of the day, listen, I like Ivan Provorov. I do. I like him a lot. He's a very good puck mover. He's a good skater. He's a number two D. He, in that, he's a number two D. He's also pretty inconsistent in his own zone, right? To me, I look at Provorov and it's like, yeah, you don't need, it's not like you need like a Chris Tanev beside you that's just going to stay in your own zone. You need a defensively responsible right-hand shot on your side, right? You can't just play with anybody because it's going to be a defensive liability if you're with somebody who is as offensively minded as you are. So, that much for a a guy and even then you're saying he's a number two but the way i'm describing it he almost needs to be a number three because if he's your number two and you need to pair him with a you know kind of a defensive defenseman that defensive defenseman isn't your number one so he has to play on the second pairing because of that now it's okay in columbus because you've got zach Wierenski and damon severson as your top pair Provorov can play with again right now it's penciled in as andrew peak we'll see how it goes but the fact that Philly got this much for a defenseman that shows flashes of brilliance, but isn't always the greatest defenseman in the world. Like this is huge for the flyers. Yeah. What do you think? Um, Sean Walker is a very serviceable NHL defenseman. And he came from the Kings too. So don't, don't yep. even do, yep. basically. Um, 
Cal Peterson, I think, will probably end up rediscovering his game in Philly. That guy has all the talent in the world. And uh, um, we'll talk about something later that might open up some opportunity for him. <laughs> um, and even if he doesn't find his game, okay, he's going to eat pucks and make money and get them to the cap floor through the rebuild. Sweet. Oh, and by the way, I talking about Danny Breer, I respect the hell out of the... Because Philly, it was rebuild in the Philadelphia market's a taboo word. And mm-hmm. he just sent it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, we're rebuilding. This team sucks. And, yeah, and this is, again, this is what we're doing. I am yeah. making my team. Yes. You get to have my team. Oh, no. And so great start for Briere, both because he just absolutely fleeced everybody in this trade and he is being realistic about where his team is at. And all of those draft picks. Those are great draft picks. They are. They are like what if that Columbus pick is gonna be great? Yeah. No. Big for Briere. And for the Blue Jackets, oh. like the Blue Jack, like that Johnny Gaudreau signing, we talked we we talked about it kind of around when we started the podcast because we started it late summer last year. That it was a weird transaction because it was a team that doesn't look like it's in win now mode, making a win now move. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, James, like the potential that this Blue Jackets defense has to me, like I love David Juracek. If Juracek hits, if Bokvist hits, and then you have Wierenski, Severson, and Provorov, among other solid NHL defensemen, you have a almost an embarrassment of riches of D-men on the Columbus Blue Jackets right now. And, and again, I said it to lead off, a 1C. Kent Johnson. Johnson can be that one C. I believe it. He was playing at the wing on the wing by the end of the year, though. So we'll see. Cole Sillinger looked like he could be that too in his first year. He had a really tough, tough sophomore slump. Really, really bad. One of the worst kind of fall-offs year one to year two that we've seen in a while. So we'll see who ends up being the the middle between Gaudreau and Line. And you know what? Maybe it's somebody like Boone Jenner. Think Ryan Hartman in Minnesota. They Boone Jenner is the grittier Derek Broussard. Yeah. I like that comparison. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a super underrated player because he plays in Columbus, Ohio, right? If he played in Toronto, he'd be considered, you know, one of the best two-way grind centers in the league, but he plays in Columbus, so nobody knows about him. Um, yeah, and so I'm saying I don't hate the whole, well, they have Boone Jenner, Kent Johnson, Jack Roslevic, Cole Sillinger, Sean Corrali. That's a bunch of solid players that I just listed off that can play mm-hmm. the center position. Um, but again, that Metro division's tough. It's going to keep yeah. being tough. They need um, and then the, the one other thing that I can see in when I see that trade, you know, the way that Provorov skates at the blue line, not even necessarily on the power play, but just when Philly would have any uh, zone time. Okay, you do, you picture that and then you picture where Patrick line a lines up and gets ready for a shot. Yeah, it's, it's Provorov getting the puck at the left point kind of crossovers middle of the ice and then line yeah. a popping over to that left side and then it's a pass and a one-timer that's perfect i love that I yeah love visualizing that <laughs> yeah it lines up so nicely in my head almost like i'm just playing chow yeah no genuinely um it's it's uh it, it could be amazing like that team could scary score a lot of goals next year yeah I, no, they just I'm... need like two more forwards and both of them maybe need to be centers yeah, and I'm waiting. I think Ken Johnson takes a step, right? And how big of a step? Well, it's hard because you got to 
good rookie year, right? Again, he's a Columbus Blue Jackets, so you don't really hear about it. But 16 goals and 40 points in 80 games on a on a Blue Jackets team that you know didn't didn't do too much. That's pretty good numbers for Johnson. And and I could see him going 25 goals, 55 points next year. And do you think Johnny Goodrow has more or less points than he had this year? I think he has more. I, I do I think so too. I don't think he's like he's not gonna sniff his career high from Calgary. Like I don't I don't see him breaking a hundred points. But he was in the seventies this year. He could easily be a point per game player over eighty two games. Easily. It was really really weird because when uh when it was announced that when I got the notification, oh Mike Babcock to Columbus, my first thought was, damn, am I ever glad that I traded away Johnny Goodrow in my keeper league? But then I thought about it and I went, hold up, wait a minute. Hold on. Actually, that might have been a bad thing that I did that. Huh. He might actually be better. My second thought, I trust more than my first thought sometimes. Sorry, and something just hit me like a truck. Um, huh. We're talking about centers, Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Leo Carlson, third overall this year. Is it an instant impact? <laughs> no, but it maybe right like we're gonna do we're gonna do a whole mock draft we're gonna have a guest for it we'll talk about that later um but leo carlson is good like he is good he is superb so he he has a very real chance of making the nhl next year and making a real impact so you know we're talking about centers for columbus leo carlson kent johnson cole sillinger jack rosovic boone jenner that is not a problem right it's just is it a 2024 playoff team Maybe not. Is it a 2025 playoff team with another year of David Juracek? I think so. <laughs> so do you think this settles the fact, like these moves that Columbus has made, do you think this settles the fact that they acquire the most instant impact player possible with that draft pick? I think they go for the guy who's going to be ready quicker. Are you like trying to ask me who they're going to pick at three? It's a slam dunk. It's not a It's not. I a think question. it has to be Leo Carlson. It's No, like, it's... Say say it were five unknown names, five purely hypothetical names, and some of them have better long-term potential, a bunch of guys who would be placed between like three and, and ten in the draft class, and say the guy the guy at number um, – this is just a hypothetical. Like, don't you think their mentality now is get the guy who's most ready right away? Yes, but we're not even talking hypothetical because his name's Matt Vemichkov, right? Like, it's not a hypothetical. There is a player that's going to go outside the top three that might be better than all three of the top three. Definitely good chance. Yeah. Good chance that he's better than two of them, right? It'll be hard to beat Bedard. But Michkov's pure talent is the second best in his draft, I believe. Yeah. It's just the uncertainty. It's the contract with SKA St. Petersburg. It's the fact that he's a winger, right? Bedard, we've I've, I know I've talked about it on the podcast. I watch him play. I think he'd be a better winger, but he's a center. He can play center. Adam Fentley and Leo, Leo Carlson are pure centers. At the end of the day, centers are more valuable. Michkov's not going to the top three, especially after world, Leo Carlson's World Hockey Championship performance because he was unreal for Sweden. So, Do you think, do you think if pick number two is Matvey Michkov, they still go Leo Carlson over Fantilli? I do I too. Think, I do. Ah, it'd be hard. You know, I think they do. I'll tell you why. The same reason Arizona took Logan Cooley last year when Shane Wright was available. It was their guy. They are going into this draft thinking Bedard Fantilli are going one, two. 
everything they're doing to prepare for the draft, every draft interview they've had, especially with Leo Carlson, is them saying, we're going to take him at three. They've decided they're going to take him at three. Last year, the top two picks were supposed to be Slykovsky and Wright. They were. It, was, it wasn't supposed to be right at fourth overall. So then when Shane Wright was available at three, the Arizona Coyotes were like, well, we've done all this scouting. We've done all these interviews. We've done all this infrastructure that Logan Cooley's our pick. So then they pick Cooley. So I think that is going to be what happens if hypothetically Mishkov goes two to Anaheim. I just don't see it. I hope Mishkov goes two to Anaheim. It'd be chaos. I've seen him as low as 16. Again, we'll do a mock draft episode. I've seen him as low as 16th overall, which is insane. I've, to me. I've seen that. And then I exited those pages. Yeah. To me, San Jose at four, that you have to take him. You Again, there's a mock. This is for another episode. We can't because we'll, if you get me talking draft, this will not end. <laughs> we um, can literally go about that until 5 yeah. a.m. Yeah. No. So Mishkop at four, Carlson at three to Columbus. Anyways. Speaking of one C's, which is where we started on the Blue Jackets, potentially two of them are on the move because all three of Connor Hellebuck, Mark Shifley, and Pierre-Luc Dubois are not expected to be in Winnipeg beyond next season for sure. Connor Hellebuck's a UFA at the start of 2024. So what now for the Jets? I mean, if any of them, Shifley takes the longest, I think, because there's just been the least spoke around him yeah but... like du- Dubois formerly requested a trade but the other thing with Shifley is he's a 2024 UFA as well he doesn't have a contract so if he was under contract that would be one thing but all three of these guys are free agents I don't think any of them finish the season in Winnipeg I don't No. well uh let's let's have some fun with it uh Name one off the board destination for each of them. Not the things everyone's talking about. Let's go off the board for each of them. That's hard because I, again, this is something I should have prepared for if I just was coming because <laughs> the, the other thing I'm doing in my head right now is trying to kind of be like, okay, well, where have they been talked about going? Right. Because yeah, just trying to, you know, have the, not trying to make it obvious. I think, I think Shifley to Ottawa is an interesting one. Because it'll, you know, like it would have to be, it would have to be a kind of, well, we're going to lose to because that's another thing, right? Alex to has been linked with Vegas. He's been linked with Dallas. He hasn't said he isn't going to sign long-term in Canada, but he hasn't said he is going to sign long-term in Canada. He's mm-hmm. a free agent at the end of next season. So I think Claude Giroux had plenty of experience playing on the wing. Ottawa is a team that's ready to take that next step. Tim Stutzla has proved he can be the one C. So if they are losing a dynamic goal scorer in Dabrinka, which is a possibility, again, not going to say likely or unlikely, I think they could go to the Mark Shifley well. The thing is, Shane Pinto's coming up is number one. And then number two, Pierre Dorian doesn't, clearly isn't a risk taker. There's so many trades he could have made in the last couple of years that he just... You know, at the end of the day, the trade he did make was they fleecing Arizona for Jacob Chikrin, in my opinion. But um, so Shifley to Ottawa is probably my weird one. Um, Dubois has been heavily linked with the Kings, and I can't picture him going anywhere else right now. Um, They just have so many prospects. It's the same bait and switch we had with Chikrin in our heads. Yeah, and again, though, the thing with L.A. is they're probably... 
they do have a lot of solid prospects, but they've said like, you're not touching Brant Clark or Quinton Byfield. And again, if I'm Winnipeg and I'm hearing that, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Am I making you're that telling me you wouldn't you? give up Quinton Byfield for sign and traded Pierre-Luc Dubois? I would, but LA made them untouchable. And that was when Thatcher Demko was ruled to rumored to go to the Kings, which is arguably hard, arguably exactly what they needed though. Um, now, if Winnipeg and LA are on the phone and they're talking about Dubois, are you telling me they're not also chatting about Connor Hellebuck? What a blockbuster that would be, right? <laughs> if it's Dubois Both? and Hellebuck to LA. Imagine if it was all three. No, I mean, yes, imagine. <laughs> it's not. It couldn't possibly. No team is trading for three UFAs in a card cap, right? Like, that's that's not, you know. Three UFAs, a- one of them's a sign and trade. And then the other one signs with them shortly after, and then you get stuck with uncertainty on the one. Yeah, if there was a little, if there was a, even a year more to the three of them, that would be one thing. It's not going to happen with them all pending. Um, and LA, th- that's the other thing too. A, a move like that is when you're at the end of your cup window. It's a win now or bust. LA's not win now or bust. Their their cup window, if it's opened, it just opened, right? A move like that is when you make an NHL 14. A move like that is not happening anywhere. No, and you know we can say that, and then you know Kachuk for Hubert will happen last summer, right? So that's I, one star player from each team, arguably one and a half from the one team because of Uyghur. But like, yeah, no, that that's what I was thinking. Hellebuck Dubois. No, 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 I wasn't talking about the three. I was talking about Dubois and Hellebuck because that is oh, okay. that is in the realm of real life. The two of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I actually my answer for Hellebuck is L.A. too because. Corpus Allo was good, not great. And I think they're putting a, they keep putting a bandaid over the problem of goaltending. They have to stitch the wound. They have to actually address it, deal with it. And I mean, maybe Hellebuck would sign long-term there. Maybe. Guys like playing in LA. Oh, for sure. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not an overrated city from what I've heard. <laughs> um, I was that, did you have one for each of them there then? Um, I didn't have an off the board for Dubois. I actually have LA for both Dubois and Hellebuck. And then my off the board for Shifley was Ottawa. Okay. My off the board for Shifley is Calgary. Okay. Is that provided they don't sign Elias Lindholm or what? Nope. They've needed the, uh, like they, they have Kadri and then Lindholm. He plays, uh, on the power play, he doesn't even always play. Uh, doesn't even always play center. So like, you put Lindholm back on the wing, which feels like an embarrassment of riches. But like, you're not even guaranteed you're going to be able to keep Lindholm. Yeah, I I don't disagree with it. I I do think for the Calgary Flames, they need to see how this coach does with his group before they do anything like that. Right. Yeah. Like, see if they can really actually unlock Huberto again. Huberto, even Lindholm, right? Lindholm had yeah. such a downturn of a year. Kadri did too. Kadri wasn't going to touch what he did the year before, but he still wasn't great. Um, and I think the other thing too is is you know what's Tyler Toffoli going to be because he excelled like crazy under Daryl Sutter. Is he going to do the him same? Him and Daryl Sutter like each other a lot. They do. And so is it going to be the same for Toffoli? Because 
that's the thing is like if you get Huberto, Lindholm, and Kadri all scoring at the the rate that you know they had hoped for and didn't happen, and you get to Foley having a, a season close to what he did, all of a sudden it's like, do you need a fifth impact point per game forward? Yeah. Or yes, you do. Or do you want to address other areas of your of your team? And that's just going to be a question for management. No, you you want all of it. Yeah, you do. You do, and all of the things. Yeah, yeah. Again, in the in the <laughs> um, French in the franchise mode of it all. Again, we got to keep going though. We got to. Uh, and then uh, Pierre Luc Dubois, Dallas. Even though, like, I know, I know, I said off the board, but and I, I know people have like briefly mentioned Dallas, but I like Pierre Luc Dubois to Dallas. Uh, players around his age. He's got a very good tax situation, nice weather, um, very good young person lifestyle in that city. Um, I I like that one a lot. And then I have Hellebuck to the Ottawa Senators, the team you mentioned. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. They need it. <laughs> they I pretty do. much just bounce some of yours around, but yeah, they well, they do badly need a goaltender, right? Like they, that's just a fact. Um, what are you talking about, man? They have Mad Showguard. Yeah, and and you know, Vegas just won the cup with Aiden Hill and Lauren Brassois. They're one too. So yeah, they do have Mad Showguard. <laughs> Who knows, right? Because <laughs> he could be the guy. Yeah, he could. But you know, let's you know roll roll the dice on on the the risk or try and find somebody solidified right they're going to try and find somebody solidified anyways i like it uh speaking of we talked about alex debrinkit so just quickly to wrap on him he was offered a long-term contract that was the report he's unsure about it and a move south tempts him that is the report that came out last week so we will see when ottawa like Alex Dabrinkit, when the Ottawa Senators traded for him, was a two-time 40-goal scorer, but he also had 32 goals in 52 games in the shortened season. And they got him for the seventh overall pick in what wasn't a very good draft, and then a second and a third. Now, I like Kevin Korchinski. That's the player that Chicago took with the seventh overall pick. I do like him, so nothing against Korchinski. But it it did seem like a suspiciously low amount that they paid for Dabrinkit at the time. It was like he must not be signing, right? Chicago must have not been able to sign him and Ottawa must not have faith they can sign him. Um, But they got to figure this out, right? Like you can't have another, like you remember what happened when William Nylander's contract went into the season, right? He had an awful year. Uh, it happened in Vancouver with uh, Brock Besser one year. And, and I think it even happened with Quinn Hughes once where it just, you know, the contract situation bled into training camp. Elias Pedersen. No, it was Pedersen where it happened, where his contract bled into training camp. Or um, even when the players traded, Kyle Turris. Yes. So, you know, like he's he doesn't have a contract right now. We'll see how this goes. Um, yeah. He's qualified, so it's not like he can sign anywhere else. He's still an RFA. Um, we want offer sheets. Give us the offer sheets. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pipe dream, but we want them. I, yeah, I, I wish. Um, so, again, speaking of American wingers in Canada... Dembrinkit doesn't sign long-term one Cole Caulfield does. I like it. Yeah. Um, I think with the Marty St. Louis coaching dynamic and the way their core is all growing together, I think it's a lot of fun. I think, I think these guys are going to have a lot of fun developing together. And from what I heard, he just holds court in the dressing room. Like he's, 
he's the he's the talent he's the class clown he's the guy they depend on on the ice he's the guy that they want to spend time with he's he's just he's kind of the total package in terms of person and and player for them and i just want to see him keep developing i mean even if say he plateaus at a highly productive top six forward he's still he's still going to be the player they paid him to be once the salary cap maybe probably potentially does go up. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it should, it is reported to, um, yeah, this guy's, you know, this, this guy is the real deal. I think he's a, he's a first line forward. I like him a lot. He brings a lot, like you said, on and off the ice, he brings a lot again from everything we can, we can tell, we can gather, you know, and he's a guy that was streaky under old coaches, but he seems to have figured it out under Martin St. Louis. And I am of the opinion that $7.85 million. You're looking at that right now. You're saying, Oh, that's a little bit too much, but that's a little bit too much next year in three years is going to look like a bargain. And that's the kind of contract you want. You want the, the Jack Hughes because Jack Hughes right now, that $8 million looks like $4 million too low. Like, Oh my God. So <laughs> I think, I, 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 I think Montreal was smart here. I, I do because he has, you know, if you look at his stats in the first year, he only played 10 games because, he had that year at the University of Wisconsin where he had 30 goals in 31 games, by the way. Um, he comes to Montreal, plays 10 games, and was a beast in the playoffs, 12 points in 20 games as a rookie to the Stanley Cup final. Second year, he had struggles on and off. Ended up with 23 goals and 43 points in 67 games, even through struggles. And then last year, 46 games due to injury, 26 goals, 36 points. To me, James Ames, he's scoring 40, playing with Nick Suzuki. He is. I I, I actually don't. I, I'm, I would put money on that. So you're paying this guy now this much money. If you give him a bridge and he has two 40 goal seasons in a row, you're done. You're paying him 10 million bucks. <laughs> you have to. And I think that's a distinct possibility in the next two years. Cause I like Caulfield, but I love Suzuki. And I think them playing together is dangerous. Do bridge deals even exist anymore? It doesn't seem like it. Cause we're talking about Suzuki. He's another guy that got a big long-term ticket. That's going to start looking really worth it in a couple of years, under 8 million bucks for a one C, right? I think Matthias Samuelson and Mikey, wait, it, Mikey Anderson got the big long one, yeah, right? Big boy. I think those two were the death of the bridge deal. Yeah. And honestly, I, I think it's better for, I think it's better for everybody because yeah, you're going to have players that are underpaid in your four, right? It's going to happen. But at the end of the day, you are a young player who has your future secured with this big contract, right? You you have security, you have you 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 know where you're going to live, you know what your next gajillion paychecks are going to be, and they're going to be a lot of money. And for the team, you have a player that you like that you developed as a youngster on your team. You're not going to have a situation like Matthew Kachuk or Alex DeBrinket where it's this uncertainty with a young twenty in young twenties, right? Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of signing, Vladislav Gavrikov inks with LA with, uh, so that was really ostensibly the Peterson money that they freed up. They used on Gavrikov, great defenseman, um, kind of a bummer, you know, just because I like to see free agent frenzy be a frenzy. And that was one of the biggest names on the board that just got taken off. But LA gets a very good defenseman. We were talking about chicken with them forever. They get their pseudo chicken in a way, not as offensively gifted, but definitely very capable. And then the funniest part is that it's a two-year deal, which we don't see ever. Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, from everything we've heard on the podcast we listen to and in the media we follow, he wanted to be able to maybe try something new and cash out again in a couple of years. Wanted to bet on himself. And I respect it when people bet on themselves. Doesn't always work out, but I respect it. So, James, this guy we're about to talk about. I thought he was going to have his name on the Vezina Trophy a few times in the next five years. And it's just not worked out for him since the kind of since really since the COVID 1920 year that got disrupted. He just hasn't been the same since Carter Hart rumored out of Philadelphia. This is a little weird because he's still 24. Still a 24 year old that we're talking. I get they're rebuilding. And, you know, maybe if Danny Breer is like, oh, it's going to be a four or five year timeline. But even then, he's still in his 20s, right? Like it just it it doesn't make a ton of sense to me unless he's thinking. He doesn't want to pay this guy in 2024 because he's an RFA, not this summer, next summer. Um, maybe you can make some more sense of it. I was a big Carter Hart fan, and I do think he can be. What he was supposed to be. I am still a big Carter Hart fan, and I still think he can be what he's supposed to be, but uh, rebuild timeline just doesn't work. You will ruin a goaltender if you put them through another four or five years of struggle. You, he will not have the career he wanted to, um, and you won't have the asset you wanted to have. And uh, it just doesn't it doesn't work time-wise. You, you keep him through that, you're going to do what Buffalo did to Robin Leonard. Yeah. I, that's I, not, that's not what you want. You're going to do what the last few years in Columbus has done to Elvis Merzlikens. You're, it's just not, it's not going to work for any party involved. So get him out of there, get him somewhere new. Edmonton would be very fun. Platoon set up with the other young goaltender and Stuart Skinner. Ottawa would be fun grow with a team that is aged very similar to him. Like it, there are a lot of guys of between one and two years older or younger than, than Carter Hart on the Ottawa senators. That's a fun idea. That's why we love Devin Levi for the Sabres. These guys are growing together. It's, it's the kind of thing where you see all these guys come up together and they all end up so close and, and it ends up the heartbreaker eight years down the line when they have to separate. And uh, it's like these these guys bond forever. You know, you, you kind of wish you could have seen that in Philly, but Carter Hart kind of came in with an older core. And it that core's timeline was not the same as his timeline. And that Philly team didn't do what it was supposed to a few times. And, you know, things happen, but... I think the best thing for all parties and Danny Breer, I mean, appears to understand that um, I'm sure he has a plan because as we've covered, he's Leonardo DiCaprio in the penny stock studio. Um, <laughs> so far anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, I think, I think there's going to be a plan um, where he is gone by the trade deadline. I'm not a hundred percent confident it gets done this summer. Um, I think, I think he's some team's panic. Like if he's not gone this summer, he's some team's panic. Give Philly all your assets to get a goalie for now, the run and the future. And that's what he is, right? Like he, if you're trading for him. You're not trading for him in the 
we just need a goalie to get us through one season, one series, one playoff run. This this is a guy for the for the for the long term future. And yeah, I I I I think he's gonna I think he's still gonna be that number one guy, that that top tier goalie is that team Canada best on best guy, right? Like that, that was what he was supposed to be. And I still, I can still see it potentially being in his future. Just needs the right fit, needs the right mix. And I think he's got it. Another interesting team for me, um, the Minnesota wild. For heart. Yeah. I mean, I can't say, I think that makes sense. I was going to say New Jersey, maybe, I can see him being the Akira Schmid, like 1A, 1B guy way more than I see. Because Philip Gustafson to me, again, like, and I might be jumping the gun. Philip Gustafson to me, like, you're not getting a 1B. You are getting a backup to backup Philip Gustafson. You're not getting somebody who is supposed to play 40 games. Philip Gustafson is the Minnesota Wild starting goalie, period. Like the way he played this season and in these playoffs, he won that spot. It's his spot. You're not getting, like with Vancouver and Demko, they made that mistake with Braden Holpe. And then they didn't make it again. But Demko proved he was the guy. And then they still got Holpe to try and isolate or insulate him. And it just didn't work. Holpe wasn't what he was, you know, what, what they got him to be. I think Minnesota getting a one B is a mistake. Look Philip Gustafson in the face and say, you earned this. You're the starter. We're going to get you a cheap veteran backup goaltender because that's all you need. And I think that's the case in Minnesota. There's one thing though. Remember where I was saying, Team gets to the deadline, doesn't like how their situation's working. You never know. We have a very small sample size with Philip Gustafson. I'm not going to say anything from that sample size has shown me he will be anything other than that. But Minnesota is one of those teams where there might be some uncertainty by that point in the season. You never know. Yeah, no, if they're making that move at the deadline, I could see it a lot more because if they're making that move, somebody's must somebody has to be deeming it necessary. Uh, it's just it, there's no way they do that before the season starts. Like Gustafson has to be struggling. <laughs> um, whereas New Jersey, like they have the Vanacek Blackwood Schmid setup right now. Again, I know I've said that they I have a lot more faith in Vanacek than Blackwood, but Hart to Jersey to me makes sense. Jersey was definitely on my Hellebuck radar t- radar as well, um, but I think Hart jives with their timeline a little more because Jersey's just starting to be win now. I think Hellebuck fits in more with a team that is is not at not so much at the beginning of their cup window because you could have a fully mature New Jersey team with a hellebuck on the decline just the way his age works right um but Carter Hart's 24 he's going to be growing with with that uh with that Jersey core I think that makes a lot more sense I'll give you one last one Toronto I've seen that I have seen that rumored right and I I think if you're Toronto because to me what I was about to say was if you're Toronto you have to get a hellebuck that's my opinion because you have to stop messing around with the guys that showed flashes and we're going to hope that they bring it here because how many times in a row has that happened, right? How many times consecutively Freddie Anderson showed flashes in Anaheim was never a superstar. Toronto brought him in. He showed flashes in Toronto was never a superstar. Next Jack Campbell showed flashes in LA flashes in Toronto was never a superstar in either Matt Murray showed some pretty bright flashes in Pittsburgh struggled in Ottawa. And then those aren't flashes. Those are lightning strikes. Yeah. I mean, back-to-back cups will do that to you. Um, And then same thing with Ilya Samsonov. He looked like he was going to be a bona fide starter. Looked like all of a sudden he was a backup in Washington. They get him, you know, like, and I, I know Matt Murray got hurt, but like at some point you like with the goaltending position, you have to just stop throwing it at the wall and hoping it sticks. 
stop it, right? Get somebody you know is going to be a stud. And to me, Carter Hart is still, I still feel the, they're throwing, they're throwing it at the wall. They're hoping it sticks with Carter Hart. You got to not, right? Like just somebody bona fide. You're pointing to the Avs logo. What are you trying to say? I'm to pointing me right to now? the Avs logo because uh, there's a team right there that has gone out and found goalies that have had flashes and it's worked. A la Philip Grubauer, a la Alexander Georgiev, Darcy Kemper. Okay. What I will say in those situations with Grubauer and with Georgiev, we're talking about two guys that before they went to Colorado, they were backups. So we're not talking about somebody like an Ilya Samsonov who had the starting role and then couldn't keep it consistently. Grubauer was the backup to a Washington Capitals, Braden Holtby. And then Georgiev was the backup to Igor Shesterkin. So that's not the same situation because you have these two guys where it's it's kind of the, yeah, you could, I think you can be, but you haven't been given the chance. With Toronto, we're talking about a bunch of guys that have been given the chance and can't keep it that's a very different situation Kemper is a little bit different but even Kemper I consider to be way more as an established starter he was very good in Arizona it's just he played for Arizona so he had to face 60 high danger scoring chances a period with the Coyotes at times right so I I know what you mean and look at the Vegas Golden Knights it was just today today they won the Stanley Cup with Aiden Hill so I know what you mean I just think again Definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. Toronto has tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed with crossing their fingers. It's even back to Jonathan Bernier. Like, like we're talking like years and years of this for the Leafs. Just Bernier. get a goalie. Just get a goalie. Get a starter. Get a guy that you think actually could be on the Vezina ballot, not a guy that you can barely survive with. What do you think Jonathan Bernier is doing right now? Listening to this. Oh, no. Nice. No, no yeah. shot. <laughs> no shot. Shout out Jonathan Bernier. I thought he was going to be way better for Toronto than he was. <laughs> I th- I think people thought he was going to be way better for LA than than uh, than he ended up being. But then Jonathan Quick came in and became a lock Hall of Famer. He is, hey, third cup. Like if you know, I think he already was, but he is. Yeah, he's slam dunk first ballot. Um. Okay. Lastly, I put this on here. Um. Trevor Linden went on Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650. Was he in the office with you? <laughs> I don't think um, so. I don't go into the office until 4 p.m. Okay. So, no. <laughs> Anyways, James and Trevor Linden shared uh, oxygen today in some way, shape, or form at the City News slash Sportsnet 650 offices in Vancouver. News to um, me. Yeah. So, Linden was there with Halford and Bruff and gave a very, very intriguing uh, I, I don't want to say interview because I didn't listen to the whole thing. I listened to clips and one of the clips was him just absolutely here. I'm going to, I'm going to find it for you. So Trevor Linden's quote, because don't forget he took over as president of hockey ops around the time that Vancouver like needed to rebuild. And the quote today was him saying, I was able to, or willing to look years down in the future. And that didn't work for some people. That was the quote, which is exactly what I've been saying about the Vancouver Canucks for years, that this ownership group refuses to have any sort of view other than how much ticket revenue are they making for the next five home games. And here is one of the best players 
one of the best players in the history of the franchise who you made your president of hockey ops and then let go and just, you know, not in, in, in such so much in worse circumstances than he ever deserved. And is now saying that <laughs> he had the ability to, you know, basically possess foresight and, and, and think ahead that quote others in the organization didn't. And again, it's just, it's, it's the, it's the eternal, just absolute hell of being a Canucks fan, man. It it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I, I had no idea what was talked about. And then I saw that you mentioned this in the rundown and I just thought, you know, Aiden's going to tell me about this. It's going to be the usual Canucks fandom stuff. That's really unfortunate. It's going to be the unfortunate broken record that many of my friends and family go through. Um, and I am going to smile and nod. Yeah. Because Aiden, what's the definition of insanity? Yeah. Same thing over and over again. And you know, I'm complaining about the same thing over and over again, but it's so are the, you going insane? I going, man. We're past going. <laughs> Is there ever a point, a point in which you hop off and go to a different team? No, I can't. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's there was no hesitation. No, uh, I I was looking for hesitation there. No, no. It's 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 not like it, it's it's. I have the ability to root for other teams and storylines and players, right? Like, Same. so I don't, again, like I, I don't feel like every year when a team hoists a Stanley cup, I'm mad because it's not Vancouver. Like that's not the case. Like I didn't want Vegas to win. <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I wasn't happy with the outcome. I was not happy with the Con Smythe winner, but I enjoyed watching Mark Stone today so much, right? Like I can still have those, moments no matter what if i if every year i was crushed by the fact that it wasn't vancouver and i couldn't get over that and that like and that and vancouver winning it would be the only positive then maybe i hesitate then maybe i'm like yeah i need to figure something else out but you know like i'm i'm i think you and i are both on the same page about this we're hockey fans first right okay so um i'm, I'm gonna bring up a very 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 quick and interesting point you know how there's that generation of fans of a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins that uh, they've only seen success since they started following hockey? Yeah, Chicago too. Or I guess not anymore, but... I mean, yeah, that's dead now. Most yeah. of those guys already hopped off the wagon. Yeah. Realistically. There, there was that with the Red Wings. A lot of them are... them. They stuck with it, and they're, they're at the point where they're just excited about the future. Um my my good friend one of my best friends we've we've talked about him the penguins fan um he said something to me on on our our daily uh facetime uh shoot it around about random nothings in our life um he because we just talk about hockey talk about video games life sports whatever um he said to me that uh he's like you know i'm really 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 scared and uh, uh this is all a paraphrase again um i i'm I, yeah i'm kind of scared for what it's going to look like after but at the same time i'm at the point where i'm i'm pretty excited to 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 hope for the best for the future and get excited for players we draft and and get excited excited for picks we acquire and um 
and see that uh, my team drafted a player in the top 15, top 10, whatever. And maybe I'll start collecting his hockey cards and stuff like that. Like, it's just uh, the excitement for the future. And that was cool to hear from a Penguins fan because most of them have never known. Most of the Penguins fans around our age have never known the team that consistently doesn't make the playoffs. The team that is unsure of expectations. The team that is going through the definition of insanity. You know? My big thing in judging if a, if a fan of a team is is what you would consider a bandwagon fan or not is, are you still a fan of the team after they miss the playoffs for three straight years? Because that's tough. That's a good mark. I have a buddy who is a big Chicago Blackhawks fan, same age as me, and he it's it's unwavering. It's been unwavering, right? Never for a second has he not been just as big of a Blackhawks fan. So, you know, like obviously we when we <laughs> when they were winning the cups, right? Like, cause you know we were all in high school together. Our first year of high school together would have been the first Pittsburgh Cup. So like right after, but him and I have known each other since like we were very small. Um, but you know, like he would get, he would get that, he would get that kind of, you know, ribbing from us that he was a bandwagon fan, but not anymore. Right. He's been through it. And uh, yeah. So it's, it's good to hear that, you know, at the end of the day, you're, if you're, if you're a fan of the team, you're a fan of the team ups and downs. The weirdest thing is being a fan of a team your whole life. And for most of your life, they're really bad. And then they win the cup and then people call you a bandwagoner. Yeah. That's I know really that, weird. That would have been you. Man, for me and all all team again. I am primarily hockey soccer, right? Like I, I I'm not as into football and baseball as I used to be. Um but man, I I I never see anybody win. <laughs> like the, the Portuguese national team won two trophies in my life. Like that's that's it. Otherwise, nobody ever wins anything for me. Canada obviously wins hockey, right? And that's special and it's awesome, but it's inevitable. It's it's the expectation. It's the bar, right? If you don't win, it's disappointing if you're Canada in hockey. Well, we've covered a lot of up-to-date news in the NHL and just random tangents, as we always promise. Um, let's go to my co-host and our, and our uh, junior hockey correspondent, Aiden Sarah, for news. That isn't news anymore. No, it's not. It's old. Who won the Memorial Cup? Uh, the Quebec Ramparts did. And you know what? Like, uh, I, we got to stop with this. With this QMJHL teams are going to be the worst in the Memorial Cup narrative because it's just not. This is the fourth consecutive Memorial Cup winner out of the queue. Right. And, 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 you know, the league objectively, is it a weaker league? Maybe. But again, like a WHL team has won since 2014 and that <laughs> arguably was the quote unquote strongest league this year. Um, yeah. Quebec beat Seattle in the final, even see, Quebec had beat Seattle three, one in the group. And then even going into the final, I was still like, Seattle's going to win this. And then they spanked them five, nothing. Um, so Patrick Waugh and the Quebec ramparts deserve all the credit in the world. Um, they follow St. John in 2022. And then you had two, consecutive cancellations because of the coronavirus but so big on quebec patrick Waugh stepped down as coach has yet to land an nhl spot but he did step down after um yeah good for quebec you have zachary bull duke the st louis pick at the top of their scoring in the in the 
in the Memorial Cup. He's a great player. He was one of their best players all year. Uh, he was the St. Louis's 2021 first rounder, 110 points in 61 games the regular season. Looks like the real deal. And yeah, congratulations for the Quebec Ramparts. We're going to stay in the QMJHL, James. This is interesting. So the OHL did this already, but I haven't seen, I don't know if it exists, and this is me being lazy that I haven't looked hard enough into it. I haven't seen too much of the OHL because the OHL was like, we're going to ban fighting. That's what they said. The QMJHL have now introduced rules of what fighting will be met with, which is new. Okay. So this is kind of what we were talking about. This is where my opinion, James, every hockey league that isn't the NHL, the AHL and the ECHL are, this is where it's going. That's what I think. Junior hockey is it done. We're not seeing fighting in junior hockey anymore. We're not seeing fighting in, in it's just, it's not happening. I, I think this is the start of the, this is the start of the end of it. I do think it's still going to be a thing in the NHL for better or for worse. Um, but we'll see. Uh, anyways, do you want to hear the rules or do you want to give me a quick opinion on it as a whole? Uh, eight words. That's all I'm giving you. I oh. don't like concussions, but I like fights. One oh, of words in hockey, not in person. I w- I will not fight anyone for any reason in person. I am not a Neanderthal that will get into <laughs> a bar fight or a street fight because someone nudged me. Those people are just the worst. Yeah, I respect that. So rules quickly. Number one, all players involved in the fight will receive a game misconduct. Number two, any player identified as the instigator of a fight will receive a one-game suspension in addition to their game misconduct. Number three, any player identified as the aggressor of a fight, don't ask me what the difference between an instigator and aggressor is in this situation, will receive a two-game suspension in addition to a game misconduct. Number four, any player that gets into their second fight of the season will receive a one-game suspension in addition to a game game misconduct as opposed to their third fight under the old rules. Um, here is my beef. Okay. Like I said, I, I sorry. Like you said, I also do not like concussions at all. Obviously I do not like the idea also in junior of a, like, this is a big thing for me. I don't like the idea of a 20 year old, like beating up a 16 year old because that th- that's junior hockey, right? Those two players share the ice in junior hockey all the time. I don't like that idea, but here's the other thing I don't like. Okay. Hypothetically, I don't like a player coming out of the WHL 21 years old fighting a 33-year-old player who has 50 career fights under their belt in the NHL. But because junior hockey never once have you been able to actually get into a fight, you have this player coming out of junior that has no idea what they're doing. They have no idea how to protect themselves, right? So I think that is my that's my negative out of this is the fact that you are going to have players that want to fight because it's still a part of hockey. It's still a part of the culture players that are scrappy and players that play a game that would lead to fighting coming out of junior, never once having a fight going into an NHL game, getting into their first fight with a vet and getting pummeled. That's what I think the unfortunate byproduct this is going to be. However, I think the entire sport is going this way. I think this is inevitable. I know there's a big, big like push. Don't ban fighting. It's part of the game. There's it's, it's a popular part of the game. Still. I just, this is inevitable that we're going this way. We just, again, there's no point in fighting this. Want to hear the the dumbest idea ever that that would happen if the NHL was a sitcom and not real life? If this were if this were to come true, is this yours or is this 
you're... This just popped into my head because often I, I think in the form of sitcoms. Okay, what? <laughs> okay, so because junior hockey slowly phases out and bans fighting and makes it so, just like you said, players are going to come in the NHL at 2021. They're going to get hammered on by guys in their 30s. So, the NHL enlists a master class, the Avengers of of NHL fighters. I'm talking Tony Twist. I'm talking Mel Engelstad. I'm talking any of those kind of guys, the guys of myth and legends, right? And they get them to teach at the draft combine a master class in fighting. Do you know... <laughs> well, I don't know why this is the first thing that popped into my mind with this, but like nobody has a second to breathe at a draft combine. There's no like free time for that. It's like I just want to point that out. Like a draft combine is one of the most like packed, hectic events. Like we hosted a spring camp and I was doing all the fitness testing and I didn't have a second to breathe. Like there was people I wanted to talk to in those fitness testing groups and like players that I knew. And I I couldn't say a word to them because it was just counting push-ups, counting sit-ups, tracking height, weight. It, it's it's a mess. Um, so no, at the draft combine, no. I did, but... one with, I did one of those with the BC Lions, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah, so wasn't that also a subplot to Goon 2, Last of the Enforcers, where after Doug Glatt hurts his shoulder, he goes to like, uh, he goes to what's his face Ross Rea, who's now fighting in like this fighting league, <laughs> and so he teaches him how to fight left-handed um that is a subplot yeah 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 that was such a dumb movie <laughs> goon 2 is such a like i loved the original goon if you want to watch like a, a good hockey movie the original goon is is actually i love it like it, it's it's it deserves more credit than it gets but the second one was a mess <laughs> okay uh so we are, I want, okay. I kind of tentatively made a schedule of our episodes, James, which, um, so this is our Stanley cup final recap. The next two episodes, we're going to do our awards and we're going to do a mock draft. We will have a guest for the mock draft. I'm not going to give any more details other than the guest is a junior hockey scout. That's it. Um, and then we'll have a mock draft Ooh, in the next three. two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, that's it. That's all we got. Um, so me and James will get our lives together long enough to commit to a day so I can actually organize it with his guest. Um, and then we will be underway. So next two episodes are awards ballots from us along with, you know, general news updates and then guest mock draft full special extravaganza draft is the 28th of June. So hopefully around the 26th, you will have that again, hopefully, you know, Again, June 26th is the award, so we have to release our ballots before then, don't we? Um, yeah, so that's the next little while. Uh, we did. I Guys, I love the questions. You guys are awesome. Seriously. Every time I post any, like, it, I don't think since we started doing the Q&A, one either Instagram story post or one podcast episode hasn't had at least one response on it. And that's a testament to everybody that listens and is listening right now. I love it. Please keep doing it. Um, and I'd be, I had... shocked, I'd be shocked, by the way, if any of the people offering questions aren't just our hockey nerd friends. But yes, I do love it. Well, I do have the the recurring questions come from hockey nerd friends, but also 
friends that don't know anything about hockey and want to get in, right? Like that's the two general groups I'm drawing from here. Um, I did get a text about like kinds of questions we want to answer. Um, we will answer, like we'll accept any question, whether or not we answer it. I don't want to make any promises, but the question was basically like, hey, I want to get to know you guys better. This guy knows me really well. So he clearly just wants to get to know you, James. But I don't blame him. <laughs> but like hypothetically, yeah, like he wants to have like, is it okay? Can we ask more personal questions? And I was like, yes. And then he asked us for our our like favorite movies or something. I was like, yeah, you can totally ask that. Um, I'll say right now, I'll take any question that isn't a career ender because I work in media. I mean, both of us do. That's kind of the, <laughs> the point of this podcast. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's questions here, James. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Do you want to do all five of these hockey ones? I did put the top movies on here too. We don't have to do that. We can do that one in the off season. Oh, we're doing that. Okay. Do you want to do all six right now? Yeah, yeah, we'll do six. Okay. So this was sorry. Number one isn't a question, <laughs> and I put that in the rundown. Is this a question? No, but I like it. Was what I wrote. Um, counter idea. So this was from the last episode counter idea to james's playoff rookie of the year award same idea but the award can go to anyone that's in their first playoffs i love it i like it more yeah that's Jack awesome. Eichel was the playoff rookie of oh. the year yeah and i don't think it should be called playoff rookie of the year but something like a first timer yeah sure i love it no that's perfect your I, nhl I playoff be- freshman as sponsored by biosteel the official sports drink of the nhl sure <laughs> Uh, this next one, this next one, again, also falls into the kind of like, get to know me and James category of questions. Who is your hockey player and non hockey player idol role model growing up? Do you want to go first? No, you go first. Okay. Um, (laughs) this is, so who was my hockey player? There's been a lot of guys I've looked up to, right? I was always a huge Jonathan Taves fan as I got older I'm going to have to say Tyler Mott. Tyler Mott's played for played for the Vancouver Canucks. He was very open about mental health struggles at a time where I was playing organized ice hockey and was really going through some difficult mental health struggles. And his story at the time, like we don't share any particular, uh, you know, diagnosable struggles, but at the time, the things he was talking about going through were very similar to what I would have been going through in the room. Um, when I was playing hockey and you know, this is, this is a small part of a bigger conversation that we can have on this podcast. But when you're, you know, when you're different in any way, right. Whether it's mentally ill, no matter what it is. And for me in particular, it's mental illness, but when you're different, you, no matter what you feel alone, right? Because even if you're surrounded by people, if you're the different one, you don't feel like you're surrounded by people who understand what you're going through or who empathize with what you're going through or who you can talk about, with what you're going through. So then when you are, you know, I was a, I, I wasn't am somebody who is super involved in hockey and, and, you know, hockey is my career. It's my life. It's my job um, with the mental illness. You know, that's not something that's generally advertised in hockey. So you, so as much as you're surrounded by a team of people, a team the again, in my instance, it's the team of people in our office. And then it's the team of players in the rink. You know, you do feel like you're alone because, you're the only one that you think is going through that. So for somebody like Tyler Mott, and he's not the only one, but again, he was a Canuck and um, the timing of his, his story was, was good for me when I was a kid. Um, You don't feel as alone, right? Because you're looking up to somebody who is like you and still made it to that level. Right. So for me, that was, uh, that was huge. Uh, So Tyler Mott's the, 
the answer for my hockey player one, the non-hockey player one for me, everybody says this. So it's just, you know, it has to be my dad. And, you know, like I have a ton of respect for my dad because he, you know, he was, he was a great parent and he's a, he's a great person. And, you know, he's, you know, I, I do honestly from the bottom of my heart, consider him one of my best friends. Um, I love my family. I love my parents, but like, even just like, it's kind of funny. I've been living on my own for almost a year now. Like I'm, me and Caitlin have a life together here. And like, I just, I do and say things more and more that I have to stop and be like, that's my dad. <laughs> like I am my father and it's not a bad thing to me. Right. Like I, it's not something I'm like, I can't do that. It's like, no, he's a, it, you know, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot worse people I could have turned into than my dad. Right. Like he's, he was, I, I'm, I'm proud that I'm proud to say that. And yeah, again, it's the easy one, I think, but it's, it's, it's the one for me. How about you? So for hockey players, there's a lot of them because uh, overcoming adversity it was always like a, a, a thing that really stuck out to me. Um, there would be a lot of guys like Paul Correa was re- the really big one, like coming back from all the concussions and stuff like that and just trying and trying again. Um, there were there were a lot of these guys like when Steven Samkos came back from uh, his injuries with the the uh, blood clotting or whatever it was and then the uh, um, and then like cr- that crashing into the post and all those things like him coming back was so it, it like it, it was a spark in my heart like that was just so cool to see but uh, there was one that really jumped out to me when I was in seventh grade my uh, my teacher Mrs. Hudson um, she actually Miss Hudson I don't think she was married or anything like at the time I always had a problem with the miss and misses when I was a kid. That that was a really difficult one for me. Um, But uh, she used to work in some capacity for the Canucks. And while while she was working there, Marcus Nasland was the team's star and captain. And um, she told me the story about how Nasland was in some capacity living in one of the suites or something like that in the rink or staying in it, something like that. Um, And uh, there was a big concert and a bunch of people had found out that Nasland was there and so she had to go up there and be like hey all of these fans are trying to get up to see you and stuff like that we got to get you out of here and he looked her he looked at her and said why do they want to see me and it was just such a cool surreal thing to me to hear that like a person of damn near nobility in this city didn't understand why people were so obsessed with him in such a humble way. Like he just thought, I'm just another guy. I just play hockey. And that one always really stood out to me. And uh, I, I still remember like uh, I, I was told that story after he was kind of already like he was, he was kind of already on his way out. Right. It was like, I think by the time I heard that story, he had like the quick stint on the Rangers or whatever it was. And uh, I just remember thinking, wow, that's that's just so cool to see. So that just kind of always gave me the thought that like no matter who you are, no matter what room you walk in, like just try and level with people, you know. But uh, so that, that was always a big hockey one for me. I have a lot of role models in hockey. Um, whether it's just people at effort level, whether it's people at the media level, management level, stuff like that. Uh, a lot of them really stick out to me. But then outside of hockey, um, outside of hockey, uh, my uncle is only eight years older than me. And because uh, my mom had me a little bit young. And so it was really, really cool to have someone 
that close to me in, in age where he was more like an older brother kind of person. And as a little kid, I just wanted to do everything he did. And uh, yeah, that's that that's always one that sticks out to me. Love it. It's another another one where we have to think here, James. <laughs> Would you rather be the most skilled and prestigious player in hockey, but also be hated by every other player and fan, or be a mediocre hockey player and nobody remembers you and they want to know why? Here's my answer. I'm going to go the mediocre one because of the word every other player because I could live with being an amazing player and every player and every other team hates me. But if my teammates hate me, I'm doing something seriously wrong, right? If you're an amazing player and your teammates hate you, you have to be a real, real asshole. <laughs> so I just, I can't, I can't pick that one because at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not on the Black Falls Bulldogs team, right? But I'm around that room enough and I've been on hockey teams. I started playing hockey in the third grade and I played on hockey teams every year since then. Um, and, you know, no matter what happens on the ice, you come off the ice and it's, it's a family, right? You're a group of brothers. So for ha <laughs> if, uh, if the question was every other team hating you and every other team's fans hating you, I would probably take that one, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't pick uh, having a career where I made all my teammates and all the fans of my team hate me. So I'm going to go the mediocre one because of that. I don't even have to dignify the first option with, with a thought the it's, it's number two always. Um, I only played hockey for a couple years because I didn't really, uh, I didn't really get to get going at it until I was 16. Um, and I was a god awful player. It's pretty hard to start playing at midget hockey at 16. Everyone has been playing their whole lives, even if they've been house hockey players their whole lives. They're all people who have been doing this for 10, 12 years. Like it's not easy to just jump in at that pace. And uh, I was terrible. But like in my second year, I was the loudest person in the locker room and I tried harder than everyone every time I went out there and my friends and teammates on, on this garbage team we had, I think we won one game the entire season. <laughs> um, I was captain. Like it. it was, it was, there was no doubt about it. I was talking more than the coach was. I love it. So yeah, you said you said uh, your friends, the listeners, uh, saying questions want to get to know me better. I feel like that was a good start. This last couple. Oh yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, this one said four off season top five movies each. Five is small. Do you want to do top ten? Ten movies. Yeah, uh, top it, 10 it, movies. it it won't be in order if it's ten. Okay. Uh, I probably have them in order. So give me your ten. Give me my ten. Uh, surfs up. I love, love Surf's Up. Love you, it. You watch it as a kid, uh, and it's like, oh, this was really cool. You go back and watch it as an adult. Phenomenal movie, top to bottom. Um, uh, Catch Me If You Can with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks. That is probably, without a doubt, my favorite movie of all time. Um, uh, uh, nostalgia Reasons, the first Transformers with Shia LaBeouf. That <laughs> one, I love that movie. Every part of it, amazing like the laughs, the action, the one-liners. Like I could I could kind of bundle the first two of those Shia LaBeouf Transformers movies in there because Optimus Prime will like have a crazy kill and then he'll say something like, I rise, you fall. 
You've you know, referenced like, that on this podcast. Before. Yeah, like those those ones really go hard in there. Um, Dazed and Confused, that is without a doubt always going to be one of my favorites. Um, then uh, a recent addition, I was told by a couple co-workers to watch a movie called Everybody Wants Some. Everybody Wants Some was done by the same guy who did Dazed and Confused, but it's about college baseball players on the weekend going into the season. And it's it's in the 80s. It's phenomenal it's uh it's just a great flick altogether um let's go so that was five um okay let's uh let's incorporate a couple others star wars episode three revenge of the sith that is the best that is that is the best star wars movie is the most nostalgic best action best lightsaber fights it is the the best one-liners the most raw emotion you feel betrayed your first time watching it when you see Anakin toast Mace Windu and everything just everything just goes to the end. I've watched people watch it for the first time. Like my ex-girlfriend, I showed the whole Star Wars trilogy to for the first time. And I remember she was just stuck. She's like, I I was having so much fun. And now now I'm I don't even know what to th- I can't I have to take a break from this. Like like this series. Yeah. Um uh so that's that's a huge one. Um to the point where I would watch it over and over and over again um homeward bound remember homeward bound it's the three animals uh the the two dogs and the cat trying to make their way home that one's a huge one for me our lists are different (laughs) um well nostalgia plays a major factor in a lot of them if i'm just talking about the best movies i've seen it's a whole different story yeah and yeah keep going uh and then uh uh another one um recently watched this one uh uh argo argo is phenomenal with ben affleck uh it's the story of getting um getting all those people back uh during the protests in iran that one was uh like it won best picture for a reason it was that good um recently watched the grand budapest motel as well that was so much fun wes anderson's great i love that movie yeah, Asteroid City comes out soon. That's yeah. uh, that's gonna be very good. Yeah. Um, another one. There's a uh, um, uh, oh, it's a Tom Hanks movie. Come on, come back to me. Come back to me. Um, okay. Well, I can't find that one, so I'll replace it with another one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies. It's called Greyhound. It's on Apple TV, and uh, this guy is on a supply run to uh, and trying to evade U-boats getting across the Atlantic. And it's Tom Hanks, and he's fighting the stress the whole way across. And uh, it's just like such a hard examination into him trying to keep it all together and keep all these people together. And then uh, probably the last one on this list, honestly, I could go 20 movies deep if I had thought about this and prepared in advance, but 1917 was one of the best cinematic experiences i've actually been through seeing a movie in theaters um the whole movie was done in one shot it's filmed in one shot start to finish and it doesn't have one blip where you think oh that was a big mistake no you're carried through and you're invested on this guy's journey to get the message across to save an entire battalion from being toasted like uh, to save thousands and thousands of people from dying at war it's uh that's a big one for me for, there's so many period pieces like I, I loved all the like like uh russell crow robin hood movies like that growing up um like 
I I always really enjoyed like stuff with knights and kings and stuff like that, but they don't stick out to me as much anymore because I haven't gone back to them recently. But uh oh uh the uh I always really like the the Channing Tatum Roman one, the Eagle. Where they're okay. trying to yeah, the Eagle of the Ninth Legion. That one always really stuck out to me as well. Nice. I I yours my mine <laughs> yours has a lot more diversity than mine does. Like if if we you know, if if we're taking, you know, if you're asking me for a top 100, it, ha it have a lot of different kinds of movies in it. My top 10 is all pretty like similar. It's, mm -hmm. it's my kinds of movies. So um, is your, wait, just to be clear, is yours your favorites or for your money, the best movies you've ever seen? The way I watch movies, it's the same thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's the ones I find the best are my favorite movies. So um, to, to an extent, right? Like, uh, there, there's a Batman movie in this top 10, right? And yeah. Um, if it's any of the Christopher Nolan ones, it deserves to be there. It is. It's The Dark Knight. So I guess we'll yeah. start there. Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker is one of my favorite characters ever. Um, and see, Aiden, before you keep going, that would be in my top 10 best movies I've enjoyed watching. Yeah. Gotcha. But it's just not in my top 10 favorite. Yeah. Uh, three Martin Scorsese movies. Uh, Goodfellas. The Departed and The Wolf of Wall Street, all three of them, love them to death. Yeah. Um, I watched Goodfellas on the plane when I was going to visit Caitlin's family <laughs> last week. It was, um, so it's front of mind. Uh, three by Quentin. The, by the way, you could do your top ten is all Leonardo DiCaprio movies, and I probably wouldn't bat an eye. Oh, totally. Well, here's another one coming up, um, as one of the three Quentin Tarantino movies. Uh, Inglorious Bastards might be my favorite movie of all time. I love it. Christoph Waltz in it as Hans Landa is potentially a my favorite villain and b my favorite like performance by an actor in anything I've ever seen. Um, Pulp Fiction's great. I can't. I'm not going to say anything that hasn't been said about Pulp Fiction. I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, James. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I, I, I think it's a movie. Yeah, I think it is so underappreciated. Um. The Silence of the Lambs would be in my top 10. Love the movie. Seven, uh, David Fincher, seven, Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman. Uh, and then the last one would be No Country for Old Men. That's I've actually ten. never seen No Country for Old Men. It's on my list of critically acclaimed movies that I haven't seen. And uh, the reason I have that list is because if I can't find something to watch for 15 minutes... I have to take something off the list. If I'm like mindlessly it. scrolling through streaming apps, I got to pick something off the list. I like it. No Country for Old Men, Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh is one of the best villain performances you'll ever see. My honorable mention, David Fincher's Fight Club, and then uh, Damien Chazelle's Whiplash would probably be the ones that just missed out. Um, I, I'm going to throw in uh, two that I could sub for any of the nostalgia pieces. Uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Another DiCaprio. Yeah, uh, and like Johnny Depp is just phenomenal as the older brother trying to keep everything together while living his own life. It's just it I, for my money, I think that might be Johnny Depp's my my favorite performance of his. Like, obviously, we all love Pirates of the Caribbean, but you know, like that's for me that that's like peak. And uh, um, oh, there was another. No, no, the other one lost me. There's just so many great movies, man. There's so many. Oh, totally. We're so lucky to grow up in the time we we did because we can go back, we can go forward. 
like Oppenheimer is about to come out and that's just going to be insane. There's a new Scorsese movie starring DiCaprio. I don't remember what it's called, but that's coming out this year too. That mm-hmm. is, that's the one circled on my calendar. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was all the Spotify questions. We have Instagram ones. Now there's two of them. Uh, first one we'll do over under Bedard career points. If he's a career Blackhawk. Interesting. Are we factoring in injuries or is this one of those stupid EA uh, prediction ones where they just don't think he's ever going to get injured once in his career? I don't know. I'm going over 1,500 points. I wasn't going to think about it too much. Like, There's so few guys that have done that and so many amazing like players that haven't even gotten close to that number. So I try and factor in injuries and I try and be as... I'm not saying you're not a realist, but... I try to, uh, I, well, I'm James, op- optimistic. Just for frame of reference, Sidney Crosby's had so many injuries, right? He's, he's, he's past that. So yeah, but that's all, Sidney Crosby. That's like, that's like, yeah. So, yeah. So then what I'm thinking is even if Bedard's not quite Crosby, I'm hoping that he doesn't have the same injuries as Crosby because Crosby's injuries mm-hmm. were more so than usual. I'm kind of balancing it out, right? Basically what I'm doing is an average of 80 points for, 18 to 20 seasons right which i think is reasonable because he's i think he's gonna get 125 points in a season but then that's also the reason it's an average is because yeah he gets hurt plays 40 games gets 40 points one year you know what i mean and then there's a random lockout twice in his career yeah maybe that, that could happen it's not out of the realm of possibility Crosby, uh, i'm gonna go through covid i'm gonna go 14 20 14 20 sure don't mind that pretty close okay yeah, last question last question what teams do you think you could do you think could use a rebranding? And then in parentheses it says new logo slash jerseys or color schemes. Um you can't say original six because they don't really do that. No, I was gonna say Nashville. I don't like that shade of yellow at all. I hate it. <laughs> um honestly, like it's it's i i would love a complete overhaul of the anaheim organization too you know like i know there's legal problems with them being the mighty ducks they can't do it but i don't like i i know the anaheim ducks came from the anaheim mighty ducks objectively think about how stupid anaheim ducks is it's a a sports franchise name right take away that they were the mighty ducks and be like okay we're the ducks okay yeah no right i don't like their logo i i i points for trying i guess you know like trying to make like the duck's foot into the d you know like it is a solid idea it doesn't look very good um so probably one anaheim two nashville and then i will go three dallas i like the color green i i like their jerseys i don't love their logo it's pretty boring it's like it feels like you asked an AI to create a logo for a sports team called the Dallas Stars, and that's what it spat out. There's not a whole lot of creativity there. You know what I mean? Okay, totally fair. Uh, I disagree on the Stars logo, but I agree with pretty much everything else. Uh, like, I think they could use that logo, but apply different colors and have a different jersey design, and I think it would be a whole different story. Sure. Um. I'm going to say, I'm going to do this at three levels. I'm going to go one, light overhaul, two, mild overhaul, and number three, change everything. Okay. So the light overhaul, I want to see the Jets use more of the, 
that burgundy maroonish color okay like a, a darkish red and more of the dark blue and the grays i like think it. i think they're regular go-to daily i think really boring and i want to see more and i wouldn't mind a good logo tweak honestly or maybe just utilizing the retro one more number two philly i think as they transition into the future i love the color orange they changed I, their orange james I, I love the color orange but it needs something with it it can't just be orange and white or orange and black we need something with it i don't know what it could be i wouldn't mind a relatively major logo overhaul gotcha and then uh uh this number three is probably gonna have people really really torn really really torn but can you honestly tell me that the calgary flames entire design isn't really dated and boring no i got it i know what you mean throw a bunch of orange in there throw darker reds uh use black a lot more like i just they keep being like oh look we're slightly changing to use a, a, a an older version of red with the newer logo and that's our go-to or we move the line on the jersey from midway uh through the bottom of it to lower or we added an extra stripe no change it all change thing change the logo change the colors just keep it flames and keep it warm colors their first reverse retro was super cool it was like the black blasty one that was yep. sweet i wouldn't mind that being like a, a staple you know what i would have said ottawa but i love their i love what they did in the last couple of years me like too that, that black one is so slick um i love the flying skate one for vancouver it's just it's hard to say that the canucks should completely change their colors again right because mm. i i wouldn't be mad but it's just it's it's a hard thing to advocate for because you know you were the black red and and yellow and then now you're blue green and white um which is so far from the same um i would i wouldn't be mad if they changed it back it's just it's a huge thing to 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 do again um I was also going to go and say uh, much like I liked old Anaheim better watching this whole playoff run. Like, man, I do not like the Panthers logo at all. I loved the old one. Mm. I loved, loved, loved the old one. Just switch it back. Yeah. That was a cool cat. Yeah. And this one, like this cat just kind of seems like it's stoned. You know what I mean? Like it that cat. Bored. Yeah. That cat, that cat looked, the first cat looked ready to fight, man. It was jumping. It was, it looked engaged. This cat, this cat looks asleep. Like <laughs> it's a house cat. <laughs> it's just a house cat. <sighs> All right, that's it. No, that's it's not it because in our rundown, you said we have to have one, uh, one, yeah. uh, one game for each other each, and it's not the great Canadian hockey podcast without a couple great games to play. We already played one game. That was those questions we were answering, and uh, you don't have to ask me a question, but. I can give you one. Yes. Go. And then we're done because it's All right. almost three I've, in the morning. I have one career trajectory for you. Okay. This player's career stretched from 2011-2012 season up until the 2019-2020 season. New York Islanders. 
Edmonton Oilers, St. Louis Blues, Buffalo Sabres, Vancouver Canucks, Ottawa Senators. I think this should be a lock for you. Anders Nilsson? Yeah. 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 I, I, I kind of thought it was going to be really easy for you just because of the final three teams. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping that the mention of the Blues would mess you up a bit. No, because the Blues... I don't remember him on the Blues for the, the three games he played. Yeah, the Blues had a bunch of goalies, man. Like, St. Louis just was a goalie. So many goalies were Blues, and you just don't remember that they were Blue. Like, Ben Bishop was a Blue, right? Like, <laughs> um, Jake Allen was there forever. But, you know, you had that year where it was, like, Ryan Miller and Yaroslav Halak. And, yeah. Um, right. Just for the sake of the games that we play and the tradition we keep there, um, I'm going to make a promise that I'm going to come in here with some really, really weird ones as we get into the dead part of the summer. Once free agent frenzy and everything is over, once we're mid-August, we're going to have some weird games that I'm going to come up with. Well, and th- that it, it's worth mentioning too. Like we had three questions; two of them were were at least vaguely related to hockey, but the three questions all kind of had us having pretty personal answers and. Again, kind of just insights into who we are. Um, if you want more of that, literally just ask the questions, right? Just use the feature on Spotify. It's on Instagram. I have solicited DMs. I Nobody's done it yet, which is fine, but open invitation. Send us a voice memo in the DMs because we can play it, right? Gives us a nice little extra content. If you, if you don't want your voice on it, I totally understand because um, – yeah, it can be weird to hear your own voice back sometimes. You can just also be ask. damn sure we're previewing it. We're not going into this blind. Oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I listened to a <laughs> podcast where they do that on purpose, and it is hectic. Yeah, no. Anyways, thank you for listening. It was a long one because we were catching up. So sorry if this took, you know, your commute to and from work, but whatever. Without further ado, thank you all for listening. Let's roll that outro. Thanks, guys.